Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Roberta Sidney, who is a seasoned, experienced, wise board director and former CEO serving on the board of Kiavi, the leading lender for real estate investors, where she chairs the nominating governance committee and also serves on the compensation committee. She has a vast experience, including positions in construction management, real estate development, strategy, marketing, sales, and finance. Not only is she a businesswoman with enormous acumen, she's a sought-after speaker, has mentored dozens of entrepreneurs on real estate and governance topics, and we're very fortunate to have her today. Welcome, Roberta. Well, thank you, Diana, and it's great to be here. I'm uh... I'm I'm impressed by my background. You've you've done you you, you you've made you've made it hard for me to live up to uh, to the hype. Absolutely. When I look at your resume, that was a cut down bio. So when I really looked at it, I was like, wow. How do I isolate the really essential pieces of your biography? And that is what I tried to do. But you have way more experience than I could talk about in that short intro. So thank you again. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm actually the independent lead director at Kiavi now. Um, so I've been uh, I've been moved up. I've been promoted. So so the bio that you have is a little even out of date. So it's uh, well, congratulations. It's thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Let's talk about women in business. Let's talk about mm -hmm. the ways you have seen shifts. You've seen transitions. You have seen women in the workforce and women leave the workforce in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. What would you like to start this conversation with talking about women in the corporate world? What's that like for them? Well, what I would say, first of all, Diana, and, and I think it's a great question and I think it's a big question. But first of all, I would love to get to the day when we no longer say businesswoman or female doctor or Asian CEO, where we just talk about people as people. So that would be that would be my dream one day. Um, however, you know, I started work in the uh, late 70s when I graduated from college. And at that time, women had to look like men, they had to dress a little bit like men, and they had to act a little bit like men. And they were also caught in a double bind. So you'd wear these silly little bow ties, perhaps. Um, and then if you were very direct or very straightforward or, or very smart, <laughs> all of which I am, it became a little bit of a problem because the society that we live in here, especially in North America, but, but other parts of the world as well, expect women to be nice. And so if you are anything less than nice all the time, uh, the, the monikers aren't always so pleasant. And so I think that's, that's, for, that's the beginning of my work career. And it actually led me to pivot out of financial services for a while because I felt like I couldn't advance because there was only room for one or two women and I had to quote unquote 
wait my turn. And patience is not uh, is not my middle name. And nor should you have waited. So let's talk about that pivot for a second. Where did you go? Mm -hmm. What did you do? Yeah. So both before and after business school, I was in financial services and money management firms. And, and the through line for me has been really around building things, building new lines of business for places like the Boston Company or State Street Global Advisors or building communities and properties when I worked in the um, uh, long-term care and community, uh, active community development world and then my own business. So what I did when I left financial services, I went back to school, got a second master's degree in real estate development from MIT. And, and that pivot was really to take me into real estate, which I had seen, heard, lived through uh, my own kitchen table because my father was a general contractor and had his own company. And so I, I understood real estate and what I loved about it, and you can see some of the pictures on my wall with some of the, the things that I've been involved in, is the variety. And that's that to me is, is really important, is knowing yourself enough to know what industry or what activity or what, what career will really give you what you need. And for me, I felt that once, once I, I don't want to say mastered, but certainly mastered what I was doing in financial services, I was bored and I needed more variety. So going to real estate really gave me that variety. And then going out on my own gave me uh, sort of, you know, trapeze act without a net. <laughs> yeah, that. So I want to reel back just a second. When I think of people figuring out what they want to do in their life, they usually have some kind of mentor very often in their mm -hmm. corporate environment mm -hmm. that would instruct them, say, I see this gift in you. I see a talent. Let's promote it. Let it let's grow it. Do you think women have that opportunity in corporate America in the same way mm -hmm. that men do? Well, I, I, I would use two words, Diana. I would use the word mentor and I would use the word sponsor. And I do think that women can find mentors and do find mentors. They find women mentors, they find male mentors, uh, but women have not historically been as good at getting sponsors. And the sponsor is the person who's going to speak on your behalf when you're not in the room and who's going to advocate for you to get the new position, to get the promotion, to get the new opportunity. That's something that, that women need to advocate for and that men and women need to be more cognizant of so that the underrepresented population, not just women, but underrepresented populations really have those opportunities to ascend, not just advance. We've, we've done a little bit on the advancement side. It's, it's it, sponsors are the ones who help you ascend. That's a great distinction. I had never heard of it said that way. Um, I like the idea that we all need sponsors in this world. Some of us need them in our families and some of us need them in the corporate boardrooms. So right. also, I when you think back, women were asked to be nice. We were asked mm -hmm. to, in some ways in my career, emulate my male counterparts in mm -hmm. speech, in patterns, in approach, and that particular um, narrowing of me was uncomfortable and it felt like I wasn't able to use the gifts I actually did possess. And mm -hmm. some of those gifts are very different from men. What would mm -hmm. you say when you think of women that you have mentored or women in the workplace, 
what in in a really stereotyped way, what do you see as women leaders that differ from male leaders? Mm -hmm. Well, first on the on the not so good stereotype, and I see this still often, is I see women more than men uh, using the word just and limiting the contributions that they've made when they speak about themselves. Oh, well, I just worked there for a year or I just served on the board of a nonprofit. And so they, they minimize themselves. So that's, that's one thing I think women do more than men. The other thing I think women do more than men is they apologize. Well, I'm not sure I'm right here or I'm sorry to interrupt instead of just saying what's what so or asking the question that they have to ask. So I think these are two things that, that hold women back. And um, I help <laughs> a lot of people focus on that when I'm, when I'm, when I'm speaking with them and I notice that I, I, I try to coach and, and guide to, to tell them it's, it's not so good. I know if a man played half an inning at Fenway one time in his baseball career, he would call himself a major league ball player. Uh, so I, I don't think women should minimize the actions and activities. What are the gifts, differences that women do bring to mm -hmm. the workplace? Mm -hmm. It's a great the question, gifts. Diana, and, and, and there, are, there are many. So I think that women by and large are often better multitaskers. They are often better with empathy and with watching process, not just task. And so as leaders, women can often see and hear the unsaid. And it's been super helpful during this COVID time when we're worried about employee safety and well-being. Uh, I've seen women leaders really excel at that much more than some of, uh, some of the male leaders who are, are, are frankly a little tone deaf. I've, I've seen some, some leaders when, when asked about return to work, it's like, yep, everyone's coming back and they're coming back right now without thought to what's really going on in people's heads and minds and lives. So I think, I think those are some of the gifts that women bring. They're also, I mean, I, I do think we often look to build consensus. Perhaps that's part of our trying to be nice all the time, which I think is also a, a gift that, that, that we can bring to the workplace. Back in the day, did you use humor much to address sort of what you were seeing or was that even allowed in corporate America? It's a great question. Um, so what I would say to that, Diana, is, is yes and. Uh, yes, there's an opportunity for humor, especially to defuse situations. Um, and I also think that, that I've used then and, and still use now one-to-one -one conversations because sometimes it's just not effective to be confrontive in, in a group where you can have a sidebar conversation, which is very pointed and, and very straightforward and direct and clear the air and, and straighten things out. So I've, I've done both. I've also been coached and I use that word almost with air quotes. Uh, this was in one of my corporate America jobs where clearly my straightforward direct approach uh, was less welcome. And so I was coached to be a little less like myself. So. So I, I know I'm, I'm less of a good corporate fit than I am an entrepreneur fit, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting journey and I think it's been an interesting time to be, uh, to be in the workforce and, and now to be serving on boards. That's great. What is the difference between somebody who would succeed as a woman in corporate America and who would succeed as an entrepreneur? What are those differences? Because you mm. clearly 
are thriving. Right. So what is that? What is that? That's uh, it's a great question. Well, I think um, I think anyone, male or female, who succeeds in corporate America needs to be a team player and needs to understand politics, needs to understand dynamics of what's going on and, and who's really in charge, despite whatever the org chart might say. I think someone who succeeds as an entrepreneur needs all of those things and a lot of initiative and a lot of drive and a lot of willingness to fall down seven times and get up eight. And that, you know, there, there needs to be a, a fire in the belly to do something um, and succeed, which again, I think people, you know, again, having been in corporate America and, and having my own company, I, I think both are necessary, but I think there needs to be even more even more initiative and self-awareness to, to, to be a, an entrepreneur. I love what you said about falling down seven and getting up eight. I think when I read a, stories or biographies of successful entrepreneurs, it's very clear that rarely does it happen that it's a straight line of success, that mm -hmm. there are always the dips that reflect the possibility of failure. Right. Well, if you're not failing, you're not pushing the boundaries hard enough. And if you're not comfortable with failure, an entrepreneurial life is not, is not, it's not going to really be, be a happy one for you. And anyone that I know, anyone that I know, both in corporate America and also at, at the entrepreneurial level, people that I know, they all have had setbacks. There is no one, there is no one who hasn't had them. The question is, can you take the lesson and leave the pain or you're going to get stuck and immobilized and paralyzed by that painful experience and not try again. And, and that's what I think successful entrepreneurs do is they don't let past failures hold them back. What is the internal dialogue of somebody who is successful in an entrepreneurial effort that has fallen down? What does that dialogue look like or sound like in their head? Um, so I would say that for me up until, gosh, I was probably in my probably my late thirties, I never realized that I had an inner dialogue because I was, I was very confident. Um, yes, I'd had setbacks and yes, I had, you know, situations that hadn't worked out, but I was, I, I had a lot of confidence that I could do whatever I set out to do. And I was actually doing a challenge by choice. It was sort of this, you know, climb a telephone pole at, uh, at, at, at Miraval in, in Arizona. And I'm really afraid of heights. And the experience was you're, climbing, you're, there's a group that you're working with, you're belayed, you're roped, you, you've got some protection, of course, but you're really up there and you're doing it on your own. And when I got to the top and I'm supposed to take those final steps to stand and let go of the rungs, I struggled. And I remember the, the person saying to me, the, the coach, uh, what do you need from us? Do you need us to cheer for you? Do you need a suggestion? Do you need us to be quiet? And I said, you know, I think I'd like a suggestion. And the point of my story here is that was one of the first times in my life that first of all, someone asked me for what I need and I paid attention to the fact that they were asking me and I listened to what I needed in my gut. And then I asked for what, you know, I, I responded and I got what I needed. And so I think that's the dialogue. It's understanding that there are times when you do get stuck, when you do need help and really going internal. What is it I need right now? 
Do I need to sit quietly? Do I need to reach out to someone? Do I need to do more research? Do I need to just hold my breath and jump? What is it that I need to do? And so I think that's the dialogue that, that I would point to most um, is recognizing that we none of us does it all alone. None of us does it all alone. That's a great point. And particularly those of us who are having to stand on the shoulders of a smaller population, we really need mm -hmm. the other people who have come before us. Can we mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your mentoring efforts? What do they mm -hmm. look like? Sure. Well, yeah. it's a variety. So I sit on, I sit as an advisor for several prop tech companies. Um, some of them are led by women, some of them are led by men. So these are technology companies focused on the built environment. And with my extensive real estate development and construction experience, I bring industry experience, connections in the industry, as well as governance and business building experience as a CEO of my own business. So it's been, it's been great to mentor people like that. Then I also am involved with several women's organizations because I do believe we need to leave the ladder down and, and help one another up. I think there's, I think it was, might've been Madeline Albright, but I'm not sure who said there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. So I, I believe strongly in that. So I do a lot of mentoring in, in those organizations. One of them is C200, which is a women's executive organization. Another one is, um, Women Execs on Boards, which is a, uh, a uh, network of women who are all board ready. And we help one another with preparing for interviews and making introductions and networking because that is the name of the game. It is. So one last question, because you have been a marvelous guest and have been so clear in your answers, but I have one last question. What piece of advice would you like to offer that 20 something person who is something other than majority represented in our business world? Mm. What's the piece of advice mm. you would like to offer? Well, I would go back to the early piece, which is to claim, claim yourself and understand yourself. Know, know that, well, I guess I'll say two things. One is take the word just out of your vocabulary do not apologize when it's not necessary to apologize. And then the third thing is understand how important culture and fit are to you in terms of your own personal growth. If you look at a job or career opportunity and you see the people and you say, these are people I can respect. These are people from whom I can learn. These are the people that I would like to be in a boat with these people when we start taking on water. That's a good place for you. If you find that that's not so, get out, find something else, find a different place to be because not every organization and not every industry is right for you. And there's nothing wrong with that, but fit is the most important thing. So pay attention to fit. Lovely, lovely. So thank you everybody for joining us today on Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Our guest, Roberta Sidney was fabulous and I hope that you will listen and like it on your platform of choice and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.